Have you ever looked at the world around you and started to wonder how all life on Earth got to where it is today? Me too. That's why for this season, I've decided to use both of my episodes to talk about the very expansive topic of evolution. In this first episode, we'll be talking all about what evolution is and what it isn't. We'll also take a deeper dive into some of the mechanisms for evolution, evidence for the theory, and some common misconceptions around it. Hi, I'm Emily. I'm Sarah. I'm Katrina. And welcome to The Anthrophiles. I chose this topic because evolution is such a broad and interesting topic, and I realized that we hadn't covered it yet in an Anthrophiles episode. Crazy. It is. I also felt that with the topic like evolution, everyone has like varying degrees of knowledge about it, whether they absorbed it, absorbed it from school, watching like a National Geographic documentary, or maybe reading an article that popped up on like your Google suggested. Mm-hmm. Um, so my goal for this episode is to consolidate all that information into one place to create a very, very basic overview of evolution. I would also like to just, you know, make it very clear that I am in no sense of the word a scientist. I am <laughs> a comm major. <laughs> so I did my very best to get, you know, as much knowledge, accurate information as I could and put it into one podcast. We've got our brightest film and history majors on the evolution. Yes, on the case. <laughs> on the evolution case. <laughs> So before we start, how would you both describe kind of like your bank or like level of knowledge of evolutionary theory? Like, do you have any like fun facts about it or just things you remember from school? Oh boy, so much cultural evolutionary theory. Shout out (laughs) Professor Haldane. (laughs) I took a class on it. <laughs> Why would they put spinner chairs in this place? I have ADHD. It's not fair. That's what I always say. I said, "Why do they spin?" <laughs> Amazing. Okay, that's fine. So, when I, I okay, oh, no, I, I was going to say something, and then you could say something. Uh huh. You can go first. I was just going to say that off. I took the biological anthropology like evolution course. And I don't remember a lot from it. I'm going to be completely honest. It was online. It was over the summer. Um, yes, I also took that class, and it was online. It was very fast-paced, but I had a great time taking it. Mm-hmm. I took it in person. Oh, oh that's nice. That's I remember a good time. there was a documentary about monkeys. That was Yes, fun. it was very long, but it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I should say this, but to anyone in that class, if you're listening, if you play it at double speed with the captions on... It's a lifesaver. Yeah, it's a time they just, saver. They speak so slowly and they do, do. You know, documentaries. I that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I also remember in high school, you know, high school is a great time. In, you know, biology class, we, for some reason, do you remember Darwin's finches? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You know, different beaks and this and that. Sure. For some reason, like, this isn't a helpful story. It's just a story. We had, like, a shoebox full of, like, different sized, like, seeds. Okay. And then we had different tools, like, a set of tweezers, <gasps> I a did spoon. This. Oh, like, yeah. the, the, the wooden, um, like, clothes clips. Yeah, a clothespin. Mm-hmm. And be like, which beak I remember is more that. fit to pick up seeds? You, like, dredged up, like, an unearthed memory. Yeah. That's I so think funny. I did that, too. Yeah. And did we all grow up in different states? Yeah. Yeah. That's really funny. Right? Wow. That's so public school. Public school. Oh yeah, public school. Yes. go public school. <laughs> that 
but that was all I had for that. <laughs> I just wanted to share because I thought that was funny, and it popped into my head when I was researching this episode. And I was like, why did we do that? Like, what did I learn? To learn. Yep. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Sorry. One time at a camp I was working at, um, these ladies, like, they would have, like, speakers at the camp that would, like, come in and do, like, fun activities with the kids. And this garden club of ladies came in, and they were teaching the kids about birds that day. And they did that, like, with the beaks. Like, different beaks can pick up different things. And they used um, a giant bowl of candy, like, gummy worms, for, like, the kids to pick up, like, the you know, mm-hmm. with the beaks. And then when the activity was over, they packed up the gummy worms. And they were like, okay, bye. And the kids were like, oh, they can we have gummy some? worms? They didn't let the kids eat the gummy worms. Isn't that My the goodness. point of doing experiments or things Exactly. With food? They were like, so you can eat it after. They were like really? seven years old. And well, then I worked at the next session, and the director talked to the bird ladies. And she was like, can they have some of the candy afterwards? And they were like, oh, my gosh, of course. I, I, I kid you not, they gave each kid half a gummy worm. Psychotic. <laughs> I was so mad for them. I'm sorry. Well, if those ladies are listening, just know that your gummy worm donations aren't su- sufficient mm-hmm. enough. Let's talk about evolution. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> I think that was related. <laughs> so while doing my research, I noticed that no one really had a singular, like, agreed-upon definition of evolution. However, all of the definitions mentioned things like inherited traits, populations, and the idea of change over time. So for this episode, we're going to define evolution as the change in the inheritable characteristics of a population over time. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means throughout the entire episode. So using this definition, we can infer that where there is reproducing life, there will be evolution. And this occurs because reproduction, like anything else, is not perfect. Um, In order to reproduce, cells must divide and replicate their DNA. However, there is a mistake during replication in about one out of every 10 million nucleotides, which doesn't seem like a lot, but like it does create like enough where it is noticeable. Um, And nucleotides, because I had to look them up, and what I found and what I wrote down is just that they're kind of defined as like the building blocks for our DNA. So the imperfections in reproduction cause a population to have a lot of like heritable variation over time. So this means that there will be differences within a population in things like muscle mass, body size, speed, eyesight, strength, and like basically everything else. Um, Also, Populations generally tend to grow at an exponential rate, but will eventually reach a point where the population will outgrow the availability of resources. So now, individuals within the population must compete for the now limited resources, um, and these things could be like food, water, and mates. So now we have both competition between members of a population and heritable variation. So in theory, the individuals with the heritable variations that are better suited to living in their environment at that specific time will have a better chance at surviving, reproducing, and passing that variation down to its offspring. Similarly, individuals with variations that are less suited to the environment at a specific time are less likely to reproduce and pass that variation to offspring. This might sound really familiar. I hope it does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh (laughs) So if it does... That's because the one and only Charles Darwin. What a guy. Right. Who we'll talk about more. We'll talk more about him like in this episode, but also in the next one. Mm -hmm. He called it natural selection. Mm. Like survival of the fittest. Yeah. 
Okay. In I remember essence. talking about that in ninth grade biology. Heck yeah. With the with the, the, beaks. the closed pin <laughs> beaks. <laughs> that was a double period day. <laughs> yeah. That was the lab. Like, oh yeah. It was a big day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wore my best outfit. <laughs> <laughs> so I do have to mention though that although Darwin is probably the most recognizable name when talking about evolution, the theory of evolution was actually a co-discovery. So the theory of evolution by natural selection specifically. So Darwin and a man named Alfred Alfred Russell Wallace both independently formulated similar ideas about evolution and natural selection at the same time. Oh, but like separately? Separately. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. That means it must be right. If two different people... (laughs) I mean, who's to say? There's no fault in that. (laughs) I guess it's just a theory. (laughs) So, like Darwin, Wallace voyaged around the world collecting samples of insects and animals to study, and by 1855, he concluded that populations change over time, and in 1858, he came up with the idea of evolution by a means of natural selection. I actually, I didn't write this down, but I was reading an article... And I guess this was his, like, second big voyage that he did collecting things. Because on his first big voyage, I don't remember where he went, but he had, like, thousands of samples on board this ship, right? And then the ship caught on fire. Oh, no! And all of his samples were lost. So do you think if, like, those samples weren't lost, we would be, like, we'd be talking about Alfred? That's kind of what I was thinking. In the evolution discussion and not so much Charles? Yeah. Charlie? Charlie. Charlie like, would it be, Alfie. like, Alfred Wallace, like, the father of evolution? Maybe. You know? I, we wouldn't have the bird beak experiment. <laughs> I know. How different life would be. <laughs> <laughs> Think of everything that would change. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. So, Wallace knew that Darwin was working with similar samples, Um, So, also in 1858, he sent Darwin a letter detailing his thoughts and findings on the subject. To be like, we're working on the same thing. That's nice. Like, what do you think? So, this resulted in the two collaborating on a scientific paper called On the Tendency of Species to Form Varieties and on the Perpetuation of Varieties and Species by Natural Means of Selection. That's an awesome band name. Yeah, it reminded me of, like, 2005, like, Fall Out Boy song. (laughs) like, that's the whole... (laughs) So they work together. Well, not really. Oh. So this detailed their evidence for evolution through natural selection. But to my understanding, from what I read, they didn't actually write the paper together. Mm -hmm. Instead, it was kind of like a third-party putting together two separate papers like just kind of putting them together and being like publishing them at the same time do you know who the third party was i do not interesting i'm assuming a publisher (laughs) (laughs) but it was yeah it was just kind of like we're gonna stick these two papers together and publish them at the same time and then they both get credit for like discovering the theory Mm -hmm. if you will but then in 1859 darwin published the i don't know if you've heard of it the book called On the Origin of Species. Yes, I have. <laughs> um, that was much more accessible to a wider audience. So the theory of evolution by natural selection quickly became associated only with Darwin. Aw. I know. Poor Alfie. So, <laughs> yeah. Alfie's taken the L. I'm sorry. This is, um, like, some, like, beef in right? history that I didn't know about. I would like to know more about this if, and if, Wal- like, Wallace was, like, upset about it. Mm-hmm. I would But be. I'm not sure. I love drama, so, like, this is messy. Anybody who says they don't like gossip is lying. (laughs) (laughs) So I do have some facts about the book. 
if you want to hear them. Sure. Um, so the word evolution wasn't actually used in the book until its sixth edition. Oh. Yeah. I think I heard that. I think, yeah. he, I'm pretty sure he used the word descent. Hmm. Yeah. Um, also, humans are never mentioned in this book. So Darwin intended to put in a chapter about humans, but thought that the book was going to receive enough, like, controversy and, like, backlash as it was already. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of correct. So he decided not to. Mm-hmm. And can, was it receiving controversy? How, what time period was this again? This like was in 1859. Okay. So was it controversy because people were like, like, no, we know things this way. We can't know things a new way. Well, what I was reading, because I didn't read too much about it, but it obviously went against, like, people who took, like, the Bible, like, literally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and it was kind of like, if you say that we all descended from, like, a common ancestor, then they used the word, like, a phrase, like, um, like, humans, like, kind of saying, like, humans didn't always exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were not jazzed about that. Okay. So it, it was it was the most of the backlash was coming, like, from re- religious organizations and yeah. people? Okay. Got I could it. see, like, race playing a huge yeah. thing in that, too, because that's right around the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. so true. So I could see people getting that's real angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would like to know more about that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I don't have that information for this episode. fine, I guess. <laughs> for another day. Yeah. So it wasn't until 1871, 12 years after The Origin of Species came out, that he released another book called The Descent of Man that he discussed topics of human evolution. So this book also received some backlash, but the theory of evolution was already starting to be accepted in the scientific and academic community, so like it kind of was like supported by them already. Okay. So it was more like less jarring. It was like it will. wasn't breaking news anymore. Yeah, like it was, but it it was okay. It was, but it wasn't. But like everyone kind of yeah. knew. Like <laughs> like like when Kylie Jenner was like, "I'm pregnant," and it's like, yeah, we all knew. But thanks for letting us know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> I love analogies. That's a good she one. Darwin's rolling over. Yeah, he's great. He's Literally. not happy right now. I'm so sorry to Mr. Darwin and Mr. Wallace. <laughs> Although Wallace's contributions to the theory of evolution through natural selection, I will continue to say it out every single time, (laughs) were substantial, they're unfortunately often forgotten about. To my understanding, though, neither stole from the other or any, like, you know, juicy details like that. But Darwin had already, like, Darwin had already begun writing his book when he received the letter Mm -hmm. from Wallace. So they truly did do it, like, independently from one another. And it wasn't like, well, I heard that Darwin thinks this. Mm-hmm. Like, it was... It no, was kind no of just copyright. by chance who got yeah. more famous. Yeah. yeah. The same stuff. That's so interesting. I didn't... I really didn't know that at all. Yeah, I also didn't know about Wallace. I, I was actually going to ask you guys that. Like, if you had heard of him before. Probably, mm. but I don't remember. Like, I'm assuming yeah. I learned about it in that class. There's no way we didn't talk about that. Right? That's what I yeah, was thinking. That's and it's just true. like it's overshadowed. I mean, I guess that happened then too. Mm-hmm, like he just right. got overshadowed oh, by Darwin. Poor guy. But don't feel bad for him too much. Okay. Right? Because I have a few facts about him too. Oh, man. Yeah. Canceled. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Wallace conducted an abundant abundance of research in Southeast Asia where he discovered that there was a geographic distribution of animals that supported his ideas of evolution. And his research led him to draw a boundary line through the region that separated Asian and Australian animal groups, and it was later named Wallace's Line. 
Oh. So he has a line. Okay. Yeah. Well, Darwin good. has evolution, but Wallace has a line. So do with that what you will. <laughs> okay. So now let's kind of backtrack to the definition of evolution, which was the change in the inheritable characteristics of a population over time. Mm-hmm. So although natural selection is probably the most recognizable means of evolution, um, based on this definition, we can infer that it is not the only one. And I was wondering if you both remembered any of the other ones at least like three to four like what the major ones are i got nothing you're putting me on the spot i know i'm sorry should i have studied (laughs) yes (laughs) i have those notes i should have brought them bring them up (laughs) well when i tell you you're gonna feel so silly because you've definitely heard of them before definitely um we're gonna talk about genetic drift gene flow non-random mating and mutation okay that sounds familiar Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. So first, we're going to start to talk, like, we're going to talk about the idea of mutation. So in sexual organisms, mutations occur randomly in the egg or sperm involved in creating offspring. And neutral mutations, or those with a smaller effect, are more common because larger mutations that have, like, a more substantial effect usually just resulted in, like, dying. Okay. Right. So, to my understanding, mutation's actually not really considered a mechanism of evolution, so I lied to you a little bit. But the presence of mutations allow new heritable traits to be selected or not be selected for in a population. So you kind of need them. Like, you need mutations for the other means of evolution. Okay. Like, it pushes it forward, yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, it's a combination of mutations and another mechanism for evolution that can result in meaningful variation within a population. I also, again, wrote a note in here for myself to mention that I was not a scientist before we, um, I'm very insecure, before we continue, because this, it gets very sciencey, so Mm -hmm. I apologize if it's a little bit boring, but I hope it's still, I hope you still find it interesting. You're like that TikTok noise, like, I'm not a scientist, I never claimed to be a scientist. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so first we're going to talk about genetic drift. According to the National Human Genome Research Institute, genetic drift is the, quote, random fluctuations in the frequencies of alleles from generation to generation due to chance events. So it's kind of like the opposite of natural selection. And I'll explain further. (laughs) (laughs) So genetic drift can cause traits to be dominant or to disappear, regardless if those traits are the fittest for the environment an organism is in. So populations are constantly under the influence of genetic drift, but the results of it may be subtle, especially within large populations. So, you know, they're more visible in, like, small populations, um, and changes in allele gene frequencies are random and very unpredictable. So, for example, on a small island, a tsunami or hurricane can result in, like, random loss of reproductive individuals, making their potential to pass down their traits disappear so like they didn't like do anything i want to say they didn't do anything wrong but like their traits weren't necessarily like bad for the environment like they just happened to get taken out by like a tsunami or a hurricane i remember this i remember trying to learn the difference between the different like forms Mm -hmm. of evolution i guess and i remember being like there was one that is caused by like things like natural disasters so mm-hmm. your tsunami example really vibe with it that. clicked yeah <laughs> it really vibe so it's basically like like 
you just said it, but I want to make sure yes. I understand. It's like their mutations aren't bad. It's just something else entirely took them out, and yeah. that's why they don't exist anymore. Something exactly. like chance. It wasn't phased out. It was kind of like a, yeah, yeah. like the dinosaurs, ish. I feel like I can't say yes or no to that. <laughs> no, because I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Go with the tsunami example. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah, a solid. Maybe. Like a tsunami. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you know, if just a group of traits suddenly disappear, this might mean that individuals with less favorable traits might survive. So in the next generation or two, you might see an increase in these less favorable traits, even though they're not necessarily what is the fittest for the environment. Makes sense. Yes. That's all I have on genetic drift. Thank you, scientist Emily. You're welcome. <laughs> now we're going to move on to gene flow. Woo. Get excited. So this happens when a population migrates towards another population and individuals in both of them reproduce and share alleles. I have an example for this too. Okay, and good. I made this example myself. I might have oh. had a little help with the last example. I'm not going to lie. But this example is all my own and you're definitely going to be able to tell. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the two separate populations will have different allele frequencies from each other. And because they came from a different environment, mm -hmm. um, and they're under different selective pressures. So they'll, you know, their, their genes, these aren't your mom's genes, you know, they'll be sep <laughs> like, they'll be very different. Okay. Not very different. They'll be different. Anyway. So as the two populations combine and mate with each other, they'll start to share these different allele frequencies and will become more similar to each other. So I have this labeled as my very scientific example. <laughs> so say there are two populations of fish. We have the north side fish and the south side fish, Ooh. right? So many of the north side fish have brown eyes and white stripes, and many of the south side fish have blue eyes and red stripes. So as the two fish populations mate, they will start to share these characteristics and become more similar to each other. So due to gene flow, you might see a new population of fish that have new combinations like brown eyes and red stripes or blue eyes and white stripes. That was a great example. Thank you. It's I like that. how yeah. I understood it. I think you can. <laughs> no, that, that was very helpful. Examples really helped me with stuff like that. Yeah, me too. So keep That's it up. I was like, <laughs> me too. Think, 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 think. Got a knee. <laughs> north side and south side. Yeah. It's like. Don't say it. Riverdale and south side. <laughs> <laughs> By ratting me out, you're ratting yourself out. <laughs> we watch TV together. <laughs> anyway, the last um, mechanism for evolution we're going to talk about is non-random mating. And this is the one I had, like, least information about. But this occurs when individuals choose their mates based on genotypes and phenotypes. Oh. So this very short example is like you've definitely seen it in like a like a documentary, like a nature documentary. Like a female bird might choose their mate based on like the colorfulness oh, of okay. its feathers. Like a peacock. Yeah. So it's like, you know, if the male peacock comes by and he's like, check out my big feathers. They're all, like, shiny and blue. And she's like, ooh. And she's like, wow. But then she sees another peacock mm -hmm. who's like, her fe his feathers are even bigger mm -hmm. and more beautiful. Mm -hmm. So she's going to choose. Looks are everything to her. Yeah. Sure. So that's non-random mating. Okay. Very short. Humans do that, too. Yeah, Have you ever heard yeah. of somebody say, oh, I... I'd like to marry this person because they're really tall, mm -hmm. so then they can be 
basketball player or play in the NBA or something yes. like that. Yeah. Ridiculous. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> Non-random mating. Yeah. Got so it. So fun. So those are the mechanisms for evolution. Very exciting. So now let's dive into some of the basic evidence that supports the theory and some of the misconceptions about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. First, I want to point out the fact that evolution is considered a theory and not just a hypothesis. And this is because the theory has been tested by thousands of scientists with results that are consistent with the theory. Um, unfortunately, our um, clothespin bird beak experiment that doesn't count does not count. But oh. you know, thousands of other scientists and us and, yes. with the bird beaks. Yes, we're just contributing. Yeah. So, in the definition of a scientific theory, according to an article from the Georgia Institute of Technology, is, in this quote. An overarching, unifying explanation of phenomena that is well supported by multiple independent lines of evidence. So, that makes sense. Thousands of experiments all saying the same, same thing. thing. It's a theory. Got it. So, in the same article, there are four main pieces of evidence listed for the theory of evolution. And the first one is, after studying the geological and fossil record, scientists have determined that the Earth is about 4.5 billion years old, and have collected evidence showing how living organisms have changed in kind and form over time. So the second one, and I have more about this one, scientists have gathered evidence supporting the idea of a common ancestry by noting homo homologies, I think is how you say it, homologies in body, plans, structures, and DNA sequences. So homologies are similarities in structures or genes in a different species due to shared ancestry. And I do have an example. So there are notable similarities in the four limbs of vertebrates. So the wings of birds, arms of primates, that's us, front flippers and whales, and the four legs of animals like cats, dogs, and even alligators all share a common ancestral structure. So you would call them like homologous structures. So we have like kind of, I saw a picture and it looked like the same bones, just like shaped a little differently. Mm -hmm. I know exactly what picture you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. I can, <laughs> I can see it in my head. That was in bird wings and human arms, you said? Mm -hmm. and, and also like cats, dogs, alligators. Yes. Okay. That's whales. ringing a bell. It Flippers is. of whales, right. Yeah. Yep. Yay. So also, just a bit of a side note, body structures that look similar to each other can also be analogous. And this means that Although the structures might look similar, they actually evolved independently from one another and did not inherit the structures from a common ancestor. And the example from the Georgia Tech article is that tail fins of sharks and orcas are analogous because the mammal's common ancestor did not have tail fins. Oh, okay. So scientists have to, like, determine the difference. Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a job for me, but it is very <laughs> interesting to read about. Um, so the third piece of evidence is scientists have discovered that all life on earth shares a common biochemistry so this means first we have the same amino acids which i won't get too sciencey because <laughs> i can't because i don't fully understand it but based on the research i did amino acids are the molecules that combine to form proteins which are known as the building blocks of life yeah yes um, we also have the same genetic code. So the National Human Genome Research Institute describes genetic code as, quote, the instructions that tell the cell how to make a specific protein. And we're made up of proteins. 
So if you remember from high school biology class, there are letters A, C. You know I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you will. Give yourself some credit. Okay. There are letters A, C, G, and T that are short for adenine, cytosine, guanine, and thymine, which are chemicals that make up DNA. I think there was a a lab where I had to cut those out and draw them and glue them together. I think I also remember Mm -hmm. that lab. We had the same curriculum. (laughs) Public school. Yeah. Common core. So genetic code is created when these four chemicals combine in various ways, and each combination specifies which amino acid is needed for making a certain protein. So the way I kind of understood it and thought about it was like kind of comparing it like life to like a Lego set. Okay. So the same few Lego pieces can be used and combined in so many different ways to create, like, millions of unique structures. Mm -hmm. But, like, when you break us all back down, we're all made up of the same stuff. Okay. And the fourth piece of evidence... Fourth? Held up five fingers. The fourth (laughs) piece of evidence. um, Conclusions about evolutionary relationships made from studying various gene sequences are largely consistent with the fossil record and are consistent with the idea of common origin for all life on Earth. So, like, different facets of science are agreeing with each other okay it's like what you know the scientists are finding with genes is consistent with like what we can see in the fossil record all right and that's a good thing (laughs) (laughs) so i kind of found it really like like looking at all this as evidence really interesting in that it puts into perspective how alike we are to other creatures Um, and i feel like human beings like to set ourselves apart from other species so it was really interesting to learn that we're all made up of the same stuff just in different combinations it's like what do you what do you guys feel about like how you know people i don't know like to say i I feel like you hear a lot like the only thing that separates us from like the animals but it's Mm -hmm. like you know we're all like the same stuff like yeah like what do you think about that (laughs) It's interesting. (laughs) The mindset is really, really interesting. I, like, I I understand because they're, like, to us there's a huge difference between like Mm -hmm. a human and a raccoon. But I don't know. But there's like really not. There's not like when you when you break it all down. No, but there's such large differences in every other way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like culturally and socially, but like biologically, there isn't as big of a difference as like humans might like to think Mm -hmm. there is i just thought that was really kind of like interesting to like wrap your head around it is like we're all made out of the same stuff how am i different than a swan you know (laughs) it's like well i know i am but (laughs) that was a good example i'm like wow we're all just kind of raccoons (laughs) raccoons are rats we're all rummaging around in the garbage (laughs) i am a squirrel (laughs) nailed it Okay, so now that we've talked about some of, like, the evidence for evolution, let's dive into some of the common misconceptions about evolution. And the first one is that when you hear people say, like, individuals undergo evolution, they do not. No. No. Only populations can evolve and individuals simply, like, live or die. So, unfortunately, like, none of us in this room will ever evolve to, like, be able to fly. It's very disappointing. Damn it. But maybe one day, <laughs> our I'm population. Pretend. I'm gonna pretend I can fly. Yeah. yeah. But just know in your heart, it's not gonna. That happen. it's not gonna happen. That's. I'm sorry. So the second misconception is that evolution has a fixed beginning and end point. So evolution isn't a straight line, and populations don't evolve towards something. 
I thought that was kind of interesting, too. That is, like, there's no goal towards no. evolution. But I yeah. feel like when you're, like, kind of, like, when, you taught, when you're taught it or you learn it, it's, like, mm-hmm. well, like, the goal is, like, to become, like, man, like, what we are now. But, like, we're, like, collectively still always evolving. Yeah. Just at a like, really slow pace. Like, we're not the goal. Yeah. The world does not revolve around us. But that what? makes sense because it's always been by chance. Mm-hmm. Like, what we are today is literally by chance. And you explained you explained all the mechanisms of evolution, and they're all <laughs> so yeah by chance like yeah because like the only thing that's and, like like maybe like natural selection but like you know with all the other ones like genetic there too, drift like, and that is everything. so crazy yeah. to think that like we wouldn't be here unless a very specific like yeah. order of things happened right or like this version. Yeah. Of us is here. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. myth is debunked. Like, we could have tails right now. <laughs> we could. I feel, like I, saw, I feel like I saw an article that we have, like, a leftover, like, bone that we don't need that would have, like, I our have, tail attached I've heard to it. I've that. The tailbone? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> is that the one? Is like, oh, well, God. <laughs> is that the one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My bad. It has a name, though. Like, like other than the, the tailbone. Is that the coccyx? Oh, Maybe. No, we can't embarrass no. ourselves like this. <laughs> okay. We can't. We're disappointing our professors. Sorry. Poor Professor Reedy's not here right now. But if she was, she'd be like, oh, my God. They learned nothing in any of my classes. Sorry. <laughs> okay, where was I? Tailbones. Tailbones. Anyway, so similarly, not to tailbones, but the thing we were talking about beforehand, is populations don't evolve in response to the environment they're in. Oh. A quote from an article from Georgia Tech states that no amount of planning on the part of an organism can predict whether an organism will be a good fit for the environment it finds itself in. An individual cannot try to evolve or anticipate the types of mutations it should have for future environmental change. Um, So mutations are also not caused by the environment. These are already existing mutations that create variation within a population, and as the environment changes, the individual's that have a mutation better suited for that environment have a larger chance of surviving and passing down like that mutation to their offspring so it's because i feel that definitely i know you're in the misconceptions like category Mm -hmm. but that's i feel like that's totally a misconception that like you like people evolve based on the environment they're in but it's just whoever has the traits that are better adapted to the environment like keep going and Mm -hmm. that's why like people might think that right like somebody like already has like the mutation if you will it's just who has it and who doesn't yeah and that that's natural selection right i also really like when you said a human cannot try to evolve i love the idea of someone just being like i will grow a tail (laughs) (laughs) just so so disappointed for the rest of their life but I feel like you hear that one a lot, and I feel like I even heard that, like, in, like, high school classes. Yeah, I was like, going to say. Like, <laughs> I feel like I like, learned that somewhere before. Like, I feel like the phrase, like, in response to the environment yeah. is mm-hmm. thrown out a lot, and it's just wrong. That's so good to know. Yeah. Another myth, debunked <laughs> By Emily so. Blanchett. Yes. <laughs> I don't know when you'll need to know that, but... Your best film student on the evolution case. <laughs> <laughs> you act like you're not a film student. No, I am. I don't know anything either. It's so funny. So one last misconception that wasn't listed in this article, but I, I do remember it from my biological anthropology class, and Sarah, I feel like you're going to have something to say about this, is that when you hear people say that humans evolved from apes, and this is not true. 
I don't know what you're talking so, about. So humans and apes share a common ancestor, but evolved independently from one another. So the next time you see that very famous drawing of an ape that slowly becomes more upright in the next drawing until it's a human, just know that it is wrong. <laughs> Sarah, tell us your story. Okay. I took a biological anthropology class freshman year of college. And we were learning about evolution. And for the final project, we had to do a creative project, you know, to make it, like, fun and exciting. And the teacher said, you can, like, draw something. You can make a comic book. You can make a little short movie. And I decided to... This isn't my finest moment as a student. Um, I decided to draw a picture of the ape turning into a man. And I handed that in. And poor... I had Professor Jamie Ullinger. What a sweetheart. I handed that in. And she, like, left notes on it. And she was like... Well, this is a lovely drawing, <laughs> it's important to remember that this is not how humans evolved. And, like, that's what you were trying to explain, right, Sarah? <laughs> like, winky face, a hundred. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> You're like, that's exactly what I was saying. Yes. You're like, so, I was actually trying to explain this and debunk this myth. You're yes. like, actually, this is my theory of evolution. <laughs> So if anyone ever sees Sarah's drawing, <laughs> it from was her... pretty good. I'm not gonna lie, the drawing Did you trace was actually it? yeah, but like the shading and the coloring. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the the color the shading. Was, I think you're was... taking away from my episode. <laughs> it helps that you were a freshman. I didn't know that. Okay, so it does help. Does it? But it was yes, at the end of the does. class after learning everything. It was the final. I mean, <laughs> your first year of college can be overwhelming. I was overwhelmed. I'm losing. <laughs> I'm giving you the benefit of the Thank doubt. Thank you, Katrina. Okay. Well, if anyone sees Sarah's drawing, <laughs> they DM her on Instagram she, like, about it. Burned it. And tell her it's wrong. <laughs> okay. So, what do you. A little bit more serious. <laughs> what do you both think of the idea that evolution doesn't work in a straight line, leading to the best version of an organism? And especially when talking about, like, humans and human behavior, um, what do you think about the phrase, like, more evolved? Ooh, you know, it's even like, in not such like, you know, I feel like we can go like down a really serious, like kind of dark mm-hmm. road with this. And we will talk more about those avenues in my next episode. But even if you like just hear somebody talking, like maybe they, I don't know, go, go to the gym a lot. And they're like, I was <laughs> more evolved because they're like more like muscular. And it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, we're like, the same. I choose not to. <laughs> You're not passing down your muscles to you. That's right. true. They come out just absolutely ripped. <laughs> just the most ripped baby you've ever oh seen. It has abs. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's not right. Yeah. And people just don't know. So that's why we're here. We're yeah. I think it's... Sorry, I was going to... I think it's, like, so it's easy for people to think of things linearly, whether it's, like, mm-hmm. time or evolution it's it's like it makes more sense in our heads so it it feels nice to be like oh it's a nice straight line and then we are the end result Mm -hmm. but when like what you were saying it's like you know like a whole tsunami could wipe out a whole population and maybe that population was like more quote-unquote ideal for like that environment than like another one that is living there but they didn't get wiped out by the tsunami Mm -hmm. so it's like we go backwards a little bit and then we go forward and like it's it's Mm -hmm. very interesting to think about because like you just said like backwards and forward but like there is no backwards and forward you're right you know you're right about being just like suited for certain things Mm -hmm. like you 
there's there's other things too like you could be suited for being able to drink milk or like consume dairy. That's so true. But you may have other stuff that you can't do. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's very oh, overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also think that humans try to like like we always try to separate ourselves mm-hmm. from things. So it's like we could look at an ape and be like I'm more more evolved than mm-hmm. that ape. And it's like you're really not. <laughs> like, you're like not you, better. You're just different. Yeah, like you probably like you couldn't live in like their environment that's as true. much as like they couldn't live <laughs> in ours. Imagine that's actually such a good point. I'm gonna say that to right? the next person that says that. Exactly. Like, okay, so, well, you try living in trees. <laughs> you tried being an ape. Yeah, it's hard. Exactly. Like you're not more evolved than like a lizard because you could not survive if you had to live like a lizard. No, I couldn't. So I thought I that really was like a interesting Or have humans way. touch you and just ruin your skin. Yeah. <laughs> in like the desert, so hot. My yeah. skin would get so dry. It would. It would just burn up like a little crisp. <laughs> Terrible sunburn. So I just wanted to like bring that up a little bit. Be like, the, so next time you hear somebody say, I'm more evolved than that. Be like, you're just no go on more a rant. evolved than a goose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's an insult to a goose. <laughs> that is almost all I have for you today. I know it was kind of long and a little bit information heavy. No. Um, but I hope you still found it interesting. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> um, but before we go, I feel like I have to mention one of the main things I remember from taking that biological anthropology class, and that was a fish called Tiktaalik. And I don't know if I'm saying that right. I probably should have looked it up beforehand, but I didn't, and here we are. So I'm going to pronounce it Tiktaalik, and somebody can let me know if I'm wrong. But he, I say he, it is a very distant ancestor of ours that was discovered in 2004 by Dr. Neil Shubin, a paleontologist and evolutionary biologist at the University of Chicago. When being studied, it was discovered that the creature has structures that resemble those in a human body, such as shoulders, elbows, legs, wrists, and its structures. Yeah. Yes. We learned something. A fish with shoulders. Yes. <laughs> That's you, just a mermaid. You should look up a picture. <laughs> it it look, kind of looks like a mini alligator, but, like but a little bit more, like, derpy, for, yeah. like, the lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cute. It is. Like, I want one as a pet, but they don't exist yeah. anymore. So... An NPR article describes Tiktaalik as a creature that, and this is a quote, bridged the gap between sea-living and land-living creatures and played an important evolutionary role in our journey to becoming human. Thanks, bud. I know. So essentially, this 375 million year old fish is the reason you now have to wake up and go to work every morning. Oh. Thanks, <laughs> Never <Tiktaalik>. mind. <laughs> Never mind. I rescind my thanks. So, have Emily, you guys heard of him before? I have, and I just want to give you the platform where I had the massive fail for my biological anthropology yes. final. Emily had a massive win, so please talk about I it. I made a short, very short comic about Tiktaalik, and it was also... I think the movie's Mean Girls. It's it's Tiktaalik. See, well, I'll explain. Oh, sorry. It's two two Tiktaaliks, right? Okay. And one of them sees his friend getting eaten by a sea creature, and he's like, "This is no good." And then another one of his Tiktaalik friends comes by in a rowboat because that's how they did it. Mm-hmm. Very scientific. And says, get in, loser. We're evolving. Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) And then they both (laughs) go up on land where the sea creatures can't get them anymore. Oh, my god. Katrina's jaws on the floor. No, I I just know 
Well, you said that she loved it, but I just know Jamie <laughs> ate that up. Yes. That is so funny. She asked if she could show it to her friends, and it was the highlight of my college career. <laughs> That's Your awesome. Mean yes. Girls to Like comic got shown to academics. Yes, it did. Very cool. So you I are a scientist. You are I, a scientist. I guess it's so. my scientific paper. <laughs> it but was, you published too. It was, <laughs> It was technically drawn on paper, so it was mm-hmm. my scientific paper. Wow, you should be so, so proud of yourself. I am. I just don't, you know, I like to be humble. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's all I had for you today. In the next episode, we'll talk more about the people involved in the history of evolution, their contributions, and in some cases, how their skewed ideas may have had negative effects on society. I can't wait yes, to talk about juicy. that. It sounds like, like gossipy about old people that are dead. Yes, basically. (laughs) (laughs) It's my favorite kind of gossip. So, also next time, we'll talk about how the field of evolutionary theory has been dominated by men, mostly white men, actually I think all white men, throughout history, and how a more diverse group of new scientists have essentially flipped the field on its head and have challenged ideas that have long been accepted by the scientific community. That's so cool. Yes. So... Thank you for listening to my episode. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So for a full list of my sources, go to the link tree in our Instagram. We would like to give a special thanks to Professor Professors Jamie Ullinger and Sarah Reedy for editing and supporting this episode. Music is Find Your Way, found by Emily from the YouTube Free Music Library. Cover art was made by Katrina using Canva. Also, special thanks to Rynette Shafu, our producer and editor, and David DeRoche and the QU Podcast Studio for producing this podcast and making it possible. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and find us on social media as The Anthrophiles on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time.